Philippians chapter 2, I'd love for you to go ahead and jump there in the Word of God, New Testament there. And we're looking at pictures of Jesus as we walk up to Christmas. Doing a bit different this year, not necessarily looking at the shepherds and the wise men um, or Jesus uh, with Joseph and Mary. But looking at pictures of Jesus from the words of Paul. Um, Anybody here like um, a nice ice-cold Coca-Cola on a hot day? Anybody? Some of you? I know some of you like chicken wings. Anybody like a Coke with that? Um, Anybody ever said, order from a restaurant, hey, can I get a Coke? And and if you would put half Coke, half water. Anybody ever done that? Nobody does that, right? Well, that's kind of what I think that we've done when it comes to Christmas. Is water good for you? Yeah, it's good. But if you put water in, in a Coke, all of a sudden it doesn't taste very good at all. Even if you put it in ice and you let it sit too long, and then the ice melts, of course, it's like, oh, it's just not the same thing. And it doesn't have the same potency, the same, the same goodness, richness to it. And that's what we have done. Can I challenge you now? Have you even done that with Christmas yourself? That you've added these other things that have diluted. That's why... So my family would probably even tell you, some may consider me a little bit of a Scrooge at Christmas. And, and, and the, the, the struggle that I have is very real, though, within me. Like, it is deep in me. It's that I think we have diluted the power of the birth of the Messiah. I think we've diluted it by adding all of these other things to it. And in amongst themselves, they're not bad things. But when all of a sudden, that's what you're having to spend your time in. Are you spending more time and energy on gifts and making sure you have all the right food? Are you spending as much time in the Word and celebrating the fact that you have eternal life? For all eternity, you will be with the Heavenly Father because of what the coming of Jesus Christ means. And so when you just keep adding and adding and adding, some people may look at me and go, Joy, you're a little bit of a Scrooge. I'm like, no, I'm a little bit of a Jesus lover. And I don't want anything to take attention away from the fact that God gave his son. Anybody there with me today? Somebody raise their hand, make me feel good. Thank you. It's like, come on. And so this is about, because I think what we've done, another way of talking about the fact that we've diluted it, I think we have lessened the picture that we have of Jesus. The clarity that we once had, maybe when you first came to know Jesus Christ, and you're like, I can't believe what he did for me. I, look at what he did. Oh my goodness, this is great. Even the way that we tell of his birth, we've made it and nuanced it to romanticize it as much as we can. Listen, to Joseph and Mary, the birth of Jesus was not, it was not romanticized. Yes, they couldn't believe that a virgin birth, yes. But let me tell you, he was born in a manger, which was a feeding trough, most likely out of rock, because then have wood and in the middle of this this nativity that actually is probably in a hillside that was dug out that was the protection from it and they were exposed to all the weather to all the elements and they're trying their best because the 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 mortality rate of an infant then was just enormous so you go man we got to do what we can do here that was the real life of it and yet we've done so much Not only to alter the story, but we've done so much to continually add to the story that we've lost the significance of it. To where none of you actually said the Super Bowl is about football. Would we really say that Christmas is about the birth of the Messiah? 
And so we want to be able to gain a greater picture of what this really means for us. Because we don't want to continually be distracted from the amazement that really does celebrate the birth of a Savior. And Philippians 2 is going to help us with this picture. Here's another way to think about the picture. I'm giving you some illustrations today. I'm not a big illustration guy. I'm usually like, let's just jump into the Word. But I'm wanting it to compute with us as best as possible. Um, I want you to to look at something initially here um, that I had some of our staff work on. Anybody like to do puzzles first? I I just did a thousand-piece puzzle. I was bored yesterday. Do it real quick. Boom. And that's what I did. Um, It was of the state of Michigan because that's how I get to learn the state better. And we have all kinds of towns that I can't pronounce the name. Um, So I I love working on puzzles. So I I want you to look at this really quick because I had some of our staff work on a puzzle. And because I think this tells some of the picture and the reason we struggle at Christmas. And we don't have a clear picture of who Jesus really is. Let's look at this real quick. You've been there before. First thing that you do in a puzzle is what do you do? You do the, no, you do the edges. You do the edges. So there it is. I just want you to see that. So for many people, we dump out the box. There goes the puzzle pieces. And what we're left with is we start working on it. You turn them all over, color up, and then you start separating in sections. One of the primary sections that you get are all the outside pieces, and you do the border first. If you choose to do it a different way, you're choosing to do it wrong. All right, so this is what you do, and you put the edges together first. Sadly enough, I think many of us, possibly even sitting here today, this is as far as we've gotten. We, we know, we've been told because of our upbringing, we've been told of our, our churchness in West Michigan, which we no longer have, but some of you grew up in, that there's this border and there's this picture, and we know that in the middle there's this picture of this guy by the name of, um, what's his name? Jesus. Good job. But we don't really know what it looks like, and, but we know that it's there. And we've been told to say, here's, the, here's what Jesus is, and this is what he looks like, but this is as far as we've really gotten. We've got some parameters, and the parameters are like, well, maybe we do this and we don't do this. It's having a decent ethic not a full morality, but a decent ethics to our life, and this is what we've come with. Well, Hopefully, we're going to better fill that in today as we move forward to, to, to be able to gain a more full and robust picture of Christ. And this is what it says. I want to read it for you again in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Would you stand for the reading of the word of God? And you already know to get ready for this. All right, so when I leave a blank, you fill it in. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in who, though he was in the form of God, did not count with God a thing to be, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the of men, and being found in human form, he himself, by becoming to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of every knee should in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. You may be seated. 
This passage is one of my, this is a passage, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, 5 through 12 even, but really uh, this is a, a, a portion of scripture Really, that I tell pastors, I've told you before, if someone's going into the ministry, I say, first things first, memorize James chapter 1 up to verse 11, or memorize Philippians chapter 2 up to verse 12, you got to memorize it. And they say, well, I can't do that. And I say, well, then you should not be a, a minister. You should not be a pastor. Because this is the why of Jesus. This is the what he even did of Jesus. This is going to let you gain a more clear picture of Jesus to fill in the blanks to be able to go, wow, this is what it means for us? I mean, it, this, this passage lets you know why I have that angst in me sometimes with all of the other stuff that we've added because there's only so much capacity, so much energy, so much time. So the more things you add, the other things you have to remove. And we keep removing more of Jesus so that we can add more of other things. That's my God. And so when we look at this, we go, wow, here's a passage that tells us the power. And I'm going to go through six key descriptions of what Jesus has done in this passage to help paint a clearer picture for us of Jesus. So let's start with verse 5. It tells us, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves. In other words, this is what it means, live like Jesus. Now, in both the uh, 84 NIV version and also in the New Living Translation, it says your attitude, this is a different version of it, right? Different translation. It says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. All my kids know this, Philippians 2.5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Dude, your attitude is not reflecting Christ right now. There's a door, get out. Come back when it is. Because if you're not, it's poisonous. It's a cancer. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Everybody say that, please. Ready, go. It was the first three words were great. So um, Philippians 2, 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, meaning you need to live like this, live like Jesus. That's your attitude. We are to strive to imitate the life that we're about to see, starting in verse 6. Have this attitude of Christ, and then it's going to show us the way Christ lived and the attitude that he had as he walked through life to give us a clear picture of who he is. You following me? Yes? Verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So I just want to go ahead and start there. We're going to go verse by verse through this. Who, though he was in the form of God, that means he was full deity. What you must understand is that when Jesus Christ took on humanity, he did not step away from his deity. When Christ took on his humanity he did not surrender or give up his deity he was both fully human and fully divine his existence did not begin in the town of Bethlehem in human form yes but he has always been As eternal God is why his name is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He has always been with us. 
It cannot be changed. It will not be changed. And we must know that his deity and divine nature did not leave him when he stepped into humanity. It means Jesus didn't cling, though, to the privileges of his deity, which means he could resist and do anything he wants. He instead chose to take on the humanity. When Christ chose to take on the humanity, he was willing to surrender some of what he was accustomed to in terms of living with the Heavenly Father. So the first thing that we learn about Christ is Jesus took on humanity. That's what this passage, this, I'm gonna, this is the first of six things we need to understand in order to go, how can we have a better picture of Jesus? Jesus took on humanity. And too little is made of this. We're just ho-hum about it. Oh yeah, okay, full God, that's cool, but take on humanity, okay, that's nice of him. He took on humanity. That's verse 6. And yet even this last year, if you don't know, if you're new here, we're walking through a series through the book of Hebrews. And we're going to finish that in the next decade. Um, But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says the following. It says, this is about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. So this is Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. After doing such, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That is also a picture of Jesus That he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So he didn't surrender the deity. He simply also took on the humanity in order for God to reveal himself. That starts to help us to understand more of a picture of Jesus Christ and who he is. In verse 7 it says, that after it talks about he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the nature of a servant, right? He says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What an amazing reminder that while, now, while not giving up his deity, Jesus gave up the privileges of his deity. He took on the nature of a servant. That's the second thing you have to know, is not only did Jesus take on humanity, but he, not, he, he then stepped in and took on the nature, the form of a servant. Another way to think about it is, that, hey, I'm, I'm the son of God. I have always been, if I'm going to step into that hot mess of humanity, I'm going to be a king with a scepter in his hand, a big white horse, right? I will rule the day. This will be fun. No, he says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to be born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. This small little good-for-nothing town is the way people viewed it. And I'm going to be born in a place of very humble circumstance. And I'm going to actually come to a place to where people look down upon me, where even, even as I'm a baby, we already know that Herod's going to try to kill me. And so my parents are going to have to escape in, in very dangerous situations and go to Egypt so that I'm not put to death at an early age. I, that's what he took on. And he took the nature of a servant, the form of a servant. 
Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. I think his human form was just an outward reflection of his true humanity, his love for the people, to be a servant for them. So yes, he took on humanity, but he also took the form of a servant. Now remember, this is all painting a picture of what it looks like for us in verse 5 to have the same attitude of Christ. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then it says, here's what his attitude was. That even though he was full deity, he took on humanity. And not only did he take on humanity to rule it, what he did was he took on humanity and became a servant. Oh. And then in verse 8, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only did he take on the form of a servant, but Jesus humbled himself. And we're going, isn't he humbled enough? I, I sometimes question whether or not we would want to question Jesus' decisions. If we look at the life of Christ and what he did, if we wouldn't sometimes go, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure that you want to humble yourself when you've already, listen, you've already taken on the form of a servant and you're showing your humility and I get it, but he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Are you sure? But Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself in taking the form of a man by being born in a small oppressed village, by being born into poverty and taking the form of a man and learning a trade and waiting for his ministry to begin, he humbled himself. And the people of low social status he chose to pour into, he humbled himself. And the enduring of temptation in Matthew chapter 4, he humbled himself. And being betrayed by friends and allowing for that to take place, he humbled himself. And by complete submission and obedience to the Father, Jesus humbled himself. From the time of his birth until he took on the mantle of death, Jesus humbled himself over and over again so much to the point of Jesus humbled himself by a fourth characteristic and attribute that says that Jesus died for us he died for you and for me and crucifixion was a shameful death it wasn't even permitted for Roman citizens and according to Deuteronomy chapter 21 23 and Galatians 3 13 it was considered by the Jews to be cursed by God and the death of Jesus shows that there is no limit to what God will do to demonstrate his love for all people. He humbled himself to the point of death. And when recognizing the depth of his lowering, it should only increase our elevation of his name. Because he lowered himself to death for you and for me. That is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, I hope that what this does is it starts to give you a better picture of what Christ has done. 
Like it, it moves us down the road. In fact, let's move down the road a little bit. Let's see a picture here of the puzzle. And you start to see the borders and you start to see some of the inner parts of it. And all of a sudden you can even see the word maybe faith at the top and love at the bottom and possibly even the dove there in the center. And you start going, okay, is this giving you a clearer picture of Jesus? A better understanding of what Christmas really is and what our life should be. If Christmas for you is all me, 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 but yet you show up at a Christmas Eve service and then maybe on Christmas morning if you're feeling good and if you remember, you read Luke chapter 2, 1 through 17, then you're like, yes, then you've missed it. You've missed it. Because then what it says is a result of Jesus taking on humanity, as a result of Jesus taking the form of a servant, as a result of Jesus humbling himself, and as a result of the death of Jesus Christ, now there is a response and it paints the picture of what comes as a result. And what we see is this in verse 9, that Jesus is to be exalted. Jesus is to be exalted. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. His willingness to be obedient to the Father to the point of death in his humility by taking on the form of humanity and the form of a servant causes God, the Heavenly Father, to exalt him. So naturally, what is our response? It should be to do what? Exalt him. Now, isn't that a, that's an interesting word. It's a word that we don't use very often anymore, isn't it? Hey, maybe we use it some at church, but we don't go, man, that was awesome. We should exalt them for the job that they did. Right, how any of you have somebody that you supervise, they did a good job, you bring them in. I'd like to take time to exalt you. We don't do that. Your kids, they clean their room, and instead of giving them a high five, let's take a moment to exalt you. It's not happening in my house. Right? We don't use that word very often, but that word exalt, it means to be lifted higher than anything else. Literally, that's what it means, to be lifted higher than anything else. Now, that means if you start adding too many things to it, that it naturally brings the, that down. Because you only have so much capacity in your life. You only have so many words to speak, time to have. There's only so much capacity. And so if you keep filling it in with other things that may not be bad in and amongst themselves, all of a sudden you have to lower that very thing that once you exalted. My fear is that we go, yeah, Jesus took on the form of humanity and the form of a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient to death and he died for us and it's absolutely awesome. But we're no longer exalting him for it. We're giving him a thumbs up and saying, cool, thanks. But it tells us, therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the response of all. Now, I've said this numerous times, but at the end of life, upon Jesus' return, whether you like it or not, every knee will bow. 
I truly believe that. And if Philippians 2.5 says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, and then it paints a picture of who Jesus is so that we can have that attitude, have that posturing, my question is, do we have that posturing? Because as it reads, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The entire world will be brought into submission to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. It conveys the absolute totality of all creation, recognizing the superiority of Jesus Christ. And if you are choosing, my friends, to neglect exalting the name of Jesus, you had better know what you're putting in its place. Chasing a career cannot be put in its place. You can justify it all you want. Buying more gifts cannot be put in its place. You can justify it all you want. But if you have put anything above the name of Jesus, you are not bringing the exaltation to his name that is rightfully his. Isaiah 45, 23, I have sworn by myself. Isaiah 45, 23, I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. It is now to Yahweh, according to Isaiah, that all knees bow and all tongues confess. And in Philippians, it's showing Jesus as Yahweh, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And every tongue will confess. As we continue, it tells us in this last verse, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the final thing we must understand. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a picture. The word here, you're like, yeah, I get Jesus Christ. But no, he's Lord When you encounter a Lord, you bow in submission and in surrender. So our posturing should be bowing in submission and surrender to who he is. And in the Roman Empire, all residents of the empire were required to swear an oath of allegiance to the emperor, declaring that what? Caesar is Lord. Well, rightfully so, the Christians said, no way, we can't do that. That's idolatry. To declare anything else as Lord, to put anything in that place of honor, to declare that it's Lord other than Jesus Christ is idolatry. We can't do it. Many of them lost their lives for doing that, but they would not put anything else. They would not elevate anything else to a place that, 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 that others could say that's being exalted. Because there is only one name worth exalting. His name is Jesus. And they wouldn't do that very thing. They, they would not let their life confess 
that they would exalt anything other than Jesus. They would not give in to it. Maybe that's the question for you is what is your life confessing this week? If someone says, man, you, this, is what, this is what they're exalting this week. Maybe that's even a better word than confessing. What is your life exalting this week? What is it that you're putting out there because you don't have a clear picture of who Jesus really is? And then in this passage in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my, my presence, but much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, listen to this again. I'm going to read it now in a different version. So you have Philippians 2.5. I want you to understand this passage so well. Hey, guys, your attitude should be like Christ. Your life should paint a picture of Jesus. Here's what the life of Jesus painted a picture of, right? Humanity, form of a servant, humbling himself to death so that every knee would, be, so every knee would bow and confess him and exalt him because he is Lord. So your life is to paint that picture of the truth of what that is. But then in verse 12, the next verse, this is what he says as we close. He says, friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. But now that I am away, you must be even more careful to put, act, to put into action God's saving work in your lives. Obeying God with deep reverence and with fear. Now more than ever, you need to be careful to take this, this, this passage, to take these words of who Christ is and to apply it to your life to make sure that you're exalting his name. You need to work out your own salvation. And some of you, as you start to gain this picture of Jesus, the clarity that it can bring in our lives, some of you need to go, one, do you actually know Jesus as what, as what was spoken today? Two, have you embraced it? Three, have you truly accepted it and lived by it? But I want to show you this last part of the puzzle. Because some of us need to complete the picture. Let's, let's see this together, actually. We need to hear the significance of the birth of Jesus and the life that he lived. I do not believe that the people in this room or even probably the people who are watching online, I don't believe that we would say that we have forgotten the power of Jesus Christ. But I would argue that many have somewhat innocently added so many things to the story and to our lives that we have diluted the power of Jesus Christ. 
Has anybody done that? I, I have. Has anybody else done that? We, we're participators here. Yeah, a lot of you. We've done it. What are you willing to do about it? Because you cannot say that he will be exalted in my life. Now, people are going to look at my life and they're going to know what's most important to me. There's only one thing at the top of my life. His name is Jesus. There's only one thing that will dictate my actions and the decisions that I have in life. His name is Jesus. There's only one thing that's going to make me just absolutely giddy when I wake up in the morning. And it's not more gifts under the tree. It's the fact that the Son of God gave his life for me. That is a picture of Jesus that he would humble himself to the point of being obedient to death on the cross. Will you paint a new picture of Jesus? A greater picture of Jesus as we prepare to worship him. And so, Lord, I come before you. I give you thanks for who you are and what you've done. And I ask, Lord, that you would allow us to truly evaluate the status that we've given you in our lives. To determine, to truly determine whether or not we are exalting you. We love you, God. Amen.